The text for the sermon this morning is taken from the chapter that we read together, Numbers 16, verses 47 and 48. Let's read that again, Numbers 16, 47 and 48. Then Aaron took it, that's the censer, as Moses commanded, and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people. So he put the incense, he put in the, in, the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a powerful image. If you try to think yourself into that situation, Aaron the priest with a censer in his hand, making atonement for God's people. And then as the text says, he stood between the living and the dead. People were dying every second. And then he stood there, and it says the plague stopped. It's a very dramatic event in the history of God's people. It's a unique event also because in this one situation, you see two aspects of God's character, two realities at once. You see God's wrath displayed, people dying, as a punishment on their sin, and also God's mercy on display because the Lord provides a high priest who can pray for the sinners. So this is an important event. We are going to listen to it, and the message is summarized as you also find it in the bulletin. See the high priest standing between the living and the dead. And then three aspects come to us from the text, why he needed to intercede so urgently, how he interceded decisively, and that God accepted his intercession immediately. So why did Aaron need to intercede? Well, it's quite obvious from the text it says, the plague had begun among the people. That is why he needed to intercede. But of course, we need to understand and why was there a plague. And we read it from the chapter. That was a long chapter. So let's just summarize the events quickly to get into it. The day before, an important man from the tribe of Levi, his name was Korah, had started a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. With him were a few other men from the tribe of Reuben, Dathan, and Abiram. These three were the leaders of the rebellion against Moses and Aaron. But they were not the only ones. We read that 250 men of renown, community leaders, important men among God's people, were involved as well. 
So this, this, was, this was quite something. The most important men among God's people rose up against Moses and Aaron. And they told them, why do you have to be our leaders? Are not all the people holy? We are all the Lord's people. Why should it always be you who lead us? And why should it always be Aaron who, who works in the temple, in the tabernacle? Why have you appointed yourselves to be our leaders? Now, this was a lie, of course. Moses and Aaron had been appointed by the Lord. In other words, as Moses pointed out to them, they were not just opposing Moses and Aaron, they were, they were opposing God and His ordinance. Now, you know how the rebellion ended the day before. Terrible things happened. The Lord's anger burned against these men. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and their families were swallowed. And the other 250 men were consumed by fire from heaven. Imagine the mood among God's people at the end of the previous day. If you went around the camp, no doubt you would hear crying and wailing and, and people being in distress because so many families had lost a husband and father. And you would expect that the people would be remorseful, that they would recognize, well, this, this was terrible, but it happened because we sinned against the Lord. We rebelled against Moses and Aaron, our leaders who had been appointed by the Lord. And the Lord has clearly shown that Moses and Aaron are our leaders and we should listen to them. The last thing you would expect is another rebellion. You would think that they had learned their lesson. But the next day, that is what happened. Verse 41 says, On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. You get the picture? And think, think about it from the position of Moses and Aaron. And you have these thousands of people coming at you, angry, threatening, shouting accusations. You guys have killed our leaders. Must have been a terrifying experience for Moses and Aaron. So what do they do? They turn to the tent of meeting, their only place of refuge. They flee to the Lord. And then the Lord intervenes. All of a sudden, there is the cloud of the Lord comes over the tent, covers it, and the glory of the Lord appears, it says. The Shekinah. The glory of the Lord, something awesome, the shining brightness, symbolizing that the Lord Himself is present. They had seen the glory of the Lord a few times before. For example, on the day the tabernacle was finished, the people saw the glory of the Lord coming down on the tabernacle. Wonderful sign. The Lord is present. Today, they again see the glory of the Lord coming down, but now it's, it's terrifying. The Lord intervenes. It's, it's encouraging for, for Moses and Aaron. The Lord is on our side, but for the people, it is terrifying. And you can just imagine that they they stagger back when they see the glory of the Lord. 
And this time the Lord says to Moses, get away from this assembly, I want to kill them all at once. And the text says that Moses and Aaron fall face down, which means that they try to pray for God's people. Hopefully the Lord will not kill the people. But this time, the Lord continues. As soon as the Lord has spoken, the judgment begins. And you can imagine Moses watching in horror as he watches the people. He, he sees people falling down one after the other. Rows of people just falling down and dying. The plague has started. He, he realizes immediately what's going on. The plague has started. So Moses, he, he realizes what is happening and he tells his brother Aaron, quick, take your censer, put incense in it, along with fire from the altar, and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. Now, I'd just like to explain to the children in the congregation what a censer is. Perhaps you know, but perhaps you don't. You know what a censer looks like? Ever seen such a thing? If you go to a Roman Catholic church today, you might see a censer that looks like a pot and there's smoke coming out of it and the priest will swing it like this. Maybe you've seen it on TV. That is a censer. But probably the kind of censer that Aaron had was more like the, a frying pan. You know when your mother has a frying pan in the kitchen? That, that was the kind of thing that Aaron had. Frying pan, sort of, a beautiful one. And what he would do, he would put incense in it, kind of herbs that smell nicely when you burn them. And that is how they would work in the tabernacle. So, think that, that was what Aaron had to do. He quickly gets his censer, that, that pan, puts incense in it, gets some fire from the altar, and then runs to the people, past the bodies of the people who have died already, and there he stands in the middle of the crowd. There he stands, and then he lifts up that censer, and he prays for God's people, makes atonement for them. And then the plague stops. No more deaths, but the number of the dead is terrible. 14,700 people have died. In how many minutes? It's hard to say. 10 minutes, 15 minutes? Plus the 250 who had died on the previous day. Now, before we continue, there are two things that we learn here. The first thing is this. God's wrath is real. It was not the first time that thousands of people had died because of they rebelled against the Lord. It had happened at Mount Sinai with the story of the golden calf. It would not be the last time either. This teaches us, to use the words of Lord's Day 4, that God is terribly displeased with our sin. Therefore, the Catechism says, He will punish them by a just judgment, both now and eternally. The wrath of God is a reality. It's not a popular idea in our time. Many people, also Christians, prefer to think of God 
as a very friendly old man who will never hurt anyone. But God's Word tells us that God is terribly displeased with our sin and that He will punish it by a just judgment. And the Bible tells us that God's wrath will again be witnessed one day in the future, the day of judgment. On that day, God's wrath will be poured out on all who have sinned against Him and who have not found refuge in the God-appointed Savior. Does that mean that we have to go through life terrified because there is the wrath of God? No. As Christians, no. The Apostle Paul says, God did not appoint us as Christians to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9. We are not appointed to suffer wrath, but salvation. That is what we will receive through Jesus Christ. But then we indeed have to put our faith in Jesus Christ as the only Savior. Without Christ, people are under God's wrath and need to be saved. That is why we, we have our evangelistic duty. That is why we send out missionaries. So that's the first lesson. God's wrath is for real. Second lesson is this. People, even the people of God, have a tendency, apparently, to commit the sin of complaining. Other translations have the word grumbling. The people grumbled against Moses and Aaron. That was, that was the thing. Why was the Lord angry with His people? Because of their complaining against Moses, Aaron, basically because of their complaining against God's will. The word is complaining or grumbling is mentioned several times. Verse 11, Moses uh, tells Korah, therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. What is Aaron that you complain against Him? So they were complaining. That was the problem. Then again, 41. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, or grumbled against Moses and Aaron. That's, that was the problem. They were grum, grumbling. Now, you might say, okay, I think I, I've heard that before, that the Israelites were a bunch of grumblers. They were never satisfied with what the Lord gave them. And thankfully, we today are not like that. Well, I hope so. And I really hope that we would be less inclined to complain or to grumble than the Israelites. But if you read 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul refers to this event, and then he says, he writes to the Corinthians, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 10, and then verse 11, he says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So Paul, at least for the Corinthians, thought that they might 
have the same problem, that they might grumble, complain against the way the Lord has organized things. So let's be warned. Let's watch ourselves that we do not follow the example of the Israelites by becoming grumblers, complainers. And I think we all know it can easily happen. It can happen in your personal life that you forget about all the good things the Lord has given to you during many years of your life, and still you become grumpy and negative because of things you have not received, perhaps. Now, I'm not talking about heavy burdens here. Some of us have heavy burdens to carry, and then we may pray to the Lord for strength. And that is not grumbling. That is crying out to the Lord and asking for strength. I'm talking now, and Paul is talking about having it good, experiencing the blessing of the Lord, being part of the Lord's community, and then becoming selfish and grumble because you have not received a certain position or whatever it may be. Yes, grumbling also happens in the church. We can easily forget the good things the Lord has given us, even in our own local church where we grew up, taught the gospel, trained in the Christian life, fellowship with believers, worship God every Sunday. It's, it's so rich. It's, it's such a blessing. But we can easily ignore that and focus on a few things that we do not like. Perhaps a decision the consistory made. Perhaps a decision the synod made. And then we can become all negative about the church. And again, there's no denying a consistory can make mistakes and synods can make mistakes too. There are many examples in the church history. But that does not give us the right to become complainers and grumblers. Our text teaches us that grumbling is a serious sin because you do not just complain about what people are doing, but what God is doing. And God knows what is in the heart. So let us examine ourselves. Paul says, this thing is in the Bible as a warning for us. So let's examine ourselves that we should be thankful and not give in to an inclination to complain or grumble. We can all ask ourselves this question. Whatever my situation is, am I thankful, really thankful, for every good gift which, which the Lord has given me in my personal life, church life? The Apostle Paul calls on believers to sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I guess we have to examine our hearts. Is, is that what's going on in, the, in my heart? What's, what's the dominant feeling in my heart, usually during the day? Am I indeed thankful for the many blessings, or am I hmm, downcast because something doesn't go well? So, there's, that is a first lesson from this passage. Now we need to move on, of course, to the second point. And now we are going to pay attention to these words in verse 
47. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded, and he ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had begun. And then he put the, in the incense and made atonement for the people. I'd like you to focus for a moment on this old man. If you calculate his age, he must have been between 90 and 100 years by now. Have you ever seen an old man like that running? Well, they say there are a few very old men who still run the marathon. But that's so exceptional that they will actually show it on the TV news. So this is exceptional. An old man, more than 90 years old, the text says, then Aaron took it as Moses commanded, and he ran into the midst of the assembly. What does that tell you? It, tell you that, it tells you that Aaron knew that lives were at stake, and he wanted to save as many lives as he could. Now, that in itself is, is quite something. These people that were dying now, shortly before, wanted to kill Aaron and Moses. There was a rebellion, and they said, you guys have killed our leaders. And their life, Aaron's life was in danger. And then the Lord intervened. If I was Aaron, I don't know, but I might have thought, okay, they wanted to kill me. Now the Lord is coming here with his uh, judgment. That's a good thing. Let the Lord do, do what he wants to do. I, I'm not sure that I would have run, run with, with that censor, but Aaron does. And Aaron, in doing so, is a perfect picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see him here fulfilling the role of the high priest for the people of God as an intercessor. What does he do? He offered the incense, it says, and made atonement. A few words about that. Incense, you know there was an altar of incense in the tent of meeting, a small altar, about the size of uh, baptismal font like that over there. And every day, Aaron's task was to burn incense on the altar in the morning and in the evening. And that, that would give the place a smelling, a sweet-smelling aroma. But also that incense, when the smoke went up, it symbolized the prayers of God's people. That's why we sang from one, Psalm 141, Hasten, Lord, hear my supplication. Oh, let my prayer like incense rise. So Aaron offered incense. Prayer goes up to God, and he makes atonement for God's people. Atonement, you know that word? It means one party is offended, the Lord, and the other party makes atonement by giving a sacrifice, and then the relationship is restored. The usual way of making atonement was by way of an animal sacrifice. For example, on the Day of Atonement, that's what they would do. Bulls and goats would be sacrificed for the sins of God's people. But obviously on this day, there is no time to be wasted, no time to get a goat or a bull and slaughter the thing as quickly as possible. So Moses says, just take incense and make atonement for God's people. Now, 
we live in the time of the new covenant. And we do not have censors in church anymore. The Roman Catholic Church still has it, but we do not. We still have a high priest, though, and that is the message for us for today. When you see Aaron at work, we as Christians need to elevate our thoughts and think of the Lord Jesus Christ in two, th in two ways. When you see the old man running as fast as he can, eager to make atonement for the people who wanted to kill him earlier, we see Jesus Christ displayed. You know that he too was rejected by his own people. They hated him, they, they refused to accept him as the Savior, and in the end they put him on a cross and they really killed him. There was a difference. Aaron's life was saved by God. He did not have to die. Jesus was the Son of God. He was appointed to become the sacrifice for his people. He had to die. And he died willingly. That is how Aaron gives us a picture of Christ. Jesus Christ was as willing as Aaron to go and become the intercessor for God's people. And when he was on the cross, he still prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then when you see Aaron standing there with that center in his hand, praying for God's people, we need to think of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, who is ministering for us today as we speak. Think of your great high priest in heaven. Think of him standing in the center of the throne in heaven, as we read in Revelations 5. He will say more about that this afternoon. Think of him at the right hand of God, and as Romans 8 says, he is interceding for us. So this story for us today is not so much about Aaron, but when we see Aaron, we need to think of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. There's one verse in Hebrews 7 that summarizes this so beautifully. Hebrews 7, verse 25. Remember that verse. Hebrews 7, verse 25. It says this, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. Isn't that beautiful? He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. That is our God-given high priest, our intercessor. Like God gave Aaron to His people Israel, so the Lord has given His Son Jesus Christ to you and me. And He always lives to intercede for us, to intercede for us. What are we to do then? Well, nothing more basically than to put our faith in Him. Not to reject Him, not to turn our backs on Him, but to, to honor Him and to always go to Him in prayer. And may I ask you, if you do that, are you in the habit of going to God, knowing that on the right hand of God you have your intercessor, Jesus Christ, so that you can ask whatever you need
for forgiveness of sins, perhaps, for something you have done. Perhaps already this morning you said something nasty to somebody in the family. Well, you need forgiveness of sins for that. But you do have somebody interceding for you with God. Maybe you need help for your troubles. Whatever the case may be, we live under an open heaven. And like the, the Israelites could go to Aaron and ask him to pray for them so we can go to Jesus Christ. We have access to God through our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ, who is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Are you using that privilege? I hope so. We come to the last aspect. Verse 48. And he, that's Aaron, stood between the dead and the living, so the plague was stopped. Again, what a powerful image. Do you see him there, Aaron, standing between the living and the dead with that censer in his hand, smoke going up to make atonement with the Lord? It's a gruesome image because there are dead people all over the place. There are different interpretations as to exactly what it looked like. Some commentators would say, you have Aaron there, and then some living, some dead, some living, some dead, intermingled. Others would say, well, you have Aaron here, and then you have the dead on one side and the living on another side. And others would even say, we have to imagine that Aaron was standing there, uh, facing the glory of God, facing the tabernacle, and then before him were all those who had already died, and behind him were those who were still alive. So he sort of acted as a shield to protect God's people from judgment. Well, we cannot know for sure how it was, how he was positioned. The Bible doesn't explain it fully. But what the Bible does explain is the effect of his work. When Aaron made atonement, the plague stopped. One moment people were still dying by the hundreds. The next moment, when Aaron started to do his intercession work, all of a sudden it was over. And whoever was still alive at that point, his or her life was spared. Again, I'm going to draw two lessons from this for us today. What do we see here? Well, one thing we see very clearly is how eager the Lord is to accept the prayer of the high priest. God didn't wait a minute to stop the plague. Immediately, God responded to the prayer of the high priest. Amazing speed. When Aaron lifted up that censer and the incense started to go up to the Lord, the Lord stopped the plague. And the amazing thing is also this, that the people had not repented or something. It was not that they had come, they didn't even have time, of course. 
regardless whether they repented or not, what the high priest did, that was the main thing, and that is what the Lord listened to. So what you see here is a beautiful illustration, a real-life illustration of what the Bible says about God's compassion. Psalm 30, verse 5. His anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. So, yes, there is God's anger. There is his wrath. It was on display on that day. But the Bible says his anger lasts only a moment. His favor lasts a lifetime. God is not out there to try and judge as many people as possible. God does not desire the death of the sinner. What God desires is that the sinner would repent and be saved. Isaiah 55, verse 5, another beautiful one. Let the wicked turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. He is quick to forgive. He is quick to forgive. Psalm 103, verse 8, we always read that after Lord's Supper, so you know it well. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Slow to anger, quick to forgive. So yes, we have a holy God and His wrath is for real. We spoke about that in the first point. But our God is also a compassionate God who is quick to forgive. He does not desire the death of the wicked. He desires to bless us, forgive us. Remember that. Always. Also when you have sinned against the Lord. Sin, the Lord takes sin seriously. It terribly displeases Him, we confess in the catechism. But remember that the Lord in His mercy and love has provided a way for atonement. And He has provided a high priest who will pray for us and then God will listen. That's the second lesson. The first was God is quick to forgive. The second is, the way God does it is by giving us a high priest who prays for us. For the Israelites, it was Aaron. His right to the priesthood had been questioned. Now he is being vindicated. That's also an effect of the story. The whole people of Israel could now very clearly see that it wasn't Korah, it wasn't Abiram. Really, the one God listens to is Aaron. When he lifts up that censer, the plague stops. Wow, he's the one, Aaron. He's, he's appointed by God. So Aaron is vindicated, clearly. Now for us, who is our high priest, you know it. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given Himself as sacrifice for us. And in that way, He has proven Himself to be the real high priest. And when, now that He is in heaven with God the Father, when He prays, the Father listens. When He makes atonement, punishment is stopped. When He intercedes, the gates of hell are closed, the gates of heaven swing open. So, when we think about these things, brothers and sisters, let us praise God and praise our Lord Jesus Christ for the wonderful way of salvation 
that the Lord gave us His own Son to become our Savior, to take away our punishment, and then that His own Son should become alive again and become our High Priest who intercedes for us always, as we heard from Hebrews. So if that is the situation, let us confess that we do not always think enough about these things and that we do not honor Jesus Christ, our Savior, enough and that we should grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. And let no one ever turn his back on this appointed high priest. Let no one think, I can manage on my own. I do not need him. You know what happened to those who rebelled against Aaron. We should not rebel against Jesus Christ, our high priest. The Word of God praises those who are waiting for the Son of God to come from heaven. That's going to happen. You're going to see it. There will be another judgment day. Blessed are you if you are waiting for the appearance of the Lord from heaven. You will see, you will see Jesus Christ standing between the living and the dead. You're going to see it. That's what the Bible says. Once more, the high priest will be standing among the living and the dead. Once more, it will be too late for those, for the dead on the one side. No opportunity to be saved anymore. And once again, those on the other side, they will praise God and acknowledge that they were saved only by the grace of God. Congratulations if you look forward to that day in the faith that you will be found among those who belong to Christ. And do not lose your connection to Him. Keep it, keep it warm, keep it alive every day. Connect with your high priest in heaven. So, I hope that this week you will think back a few times of the old man running with his censor to save as many of God's people as possible. And I hope that then you will lift up your thoughts to Jesus Christ in heaven, where he is at God's right hand, interceding for us always. You know what he did to earn that position. Cling to him. And do not lose the privilege that his work brings to you. Amen. Let us sing from hymn 28, stanza 5 and 7, Christ Jesus, full atonement made and brought to us salvation. And each Christian therefore may be glad and build on this foundation. Hymn 28, stanzas 5 and 7.